Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. On this edition of Finsider Radio, the crew is back together after several days of doing our own Finsider Daily Hits. And uh, we will begin uh, tonight's show just talking about Hall of Famer linebacker Nick Bonaconti passing away at the age of 78. We'll give our thoughts about him. We'll take a look around training camp, look at the offensive line, look at the quarterback competition, look at some defensive shifts, some defensive changes, and what's happening there. A lot of ground to cover, a lot to discuss. Make sure you join us here on Finsider Radio. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata. I'm joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. And yes, we'll kick off the show this week with our thoughts and memories of Hall of Fame linebacker Nick Bonaconti, who helped lead the Miami Dolphins to the NFL's only perfect season, dead at the age of 78. His son, Mark Bonaconti, releasing a statement saying that with heavy, heavy heart and profound sorrow, his family and the entire Miami project to cure paralysis and Bonaconti fund community mourn the loss of a man who was truly larger than life. My father, NFL Hall of Famer Nick Bonaconti. He continued to say, My dad has been a hero and represents what I have always aspired to be, a leader, a mentor, and a champion. The cause of death wasn't immediately known, but several representatives from the Dolphins, Nat Moore, for example, said that he had been battling an ammonia for the past several weeks, and unfortunately his body just shut down. Head coach, Former head coach Don Shula said that Nick was special to me in every way. He was someone I greatly admired. His groundbreaking work with the Miami Project to cure paralysis has made a huge difference in the lives of so many people. I am thankful to have had Nick in my life. I will miss him. Bon Conti was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. He played guard on offense and linebacker on defense for Notre Dame. 5'11", 220 pounds, came into the NFL, was set was called too small to be an NFL linebacker. So he was taken in the 13th round by the Boston Patriots of the AFL and played for them from 62 to 68 Made the AFL All-Star Game six times, had 24 career interceptions for the Patriots, including three in a single game in 1968. Then played for the Dolphins from 69 to 74 and in 76. Leader of the Miami's famed no-name defense, and in 1973 he set a team record with 162 tackles. Eight-time Pro Bowler, won Super Bowl titles with the Dolphins in 72 for a team that finished 17-0, in 1973, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2001. Bonaconti, very alert, very aware, said in November 2017 that he would donate his brain for CTE research revealed in May of that year that he had been suffering from memory loss and could not use his left hand, among other ailments. Now, you heard us talk about the uh, Cure for Paralysis Fund and Project 
His son Mark was paralyzed at the age of 19 while playing football. And that's why he has been such a driving force behind this, raising hundreds of millions of dollars for research. We uh, obviously extend our thoughts and prayers to the Bonaconte family on the passing of Nick. And, uh, you know, we were we're all too young here, Houts and Sutton, to have been alive for the Dolphins' perfect season. But we know through stories and, and articles and NFL films that Bonaconte, you know, you could almost say Zach Thomas was a modern-day Nick Bonaconte. Undersized, full of heart, determined, never giving up. And, uh, you know, if Nick Bonaconte was the original Zach Thomas... And Zach Thomas was just following in his footsteps. Your thoughts, Sutton and Outs? Yeah, unfortunately, didn't get to watch him as a player. You can just kind of tell the ripple effects of the relationships that he had with others with just the uh, outpouring of, of well wishes to the Bonacani family and uh, certainly extend those from the Sutton family as well. Yeah, thoughts and prayers go out to Nick Bonacanti and his family. Uh, like the two have mentioned, this is a guy that we have not seen play, so it's not a guy that we are very familiar with. We know just how great he was. The two Super Bowls, 72-73, he made the Pro Bowl team those years. Two-time second-team All-Pro, 72-73. and 73. Six-time AFL All-Star. Five-time first-team All-AFL team. I mean, this guy's done everything. He is a... Um, like like Kanata said, I mean, this is a guy who was a perfect representation of what a middle linebacker should be. He had 32 interceptions throughout his 183 games in the NFL. Unfortunately, they did not start recording tackles until 2001, so that information is not known. Uh, but for anyone that doesn't know about Nick Bonacanti and his story, there is a very, very well done documentary on HBO that everyone should, tonight, tomorrow, go check it out. See what he was all about. See the battle that he was fighting and just see... Uh, what kind of human he was. I mean, this was a guy who on the field was just as good as he was off, and he's a guy who will be deeply, deeply missed. Thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family, and, uh, you know, there's there's just nowhere to go but up from here. The Dolphins will obviously hold some kind of special recognition ceremony this season. I've already released a statement as well on behalf of owner Stephen Ross and other former players and coaches who have been with the team in the organization and who knew Nick very well. No good way to transition from that, but that's what we are going to do now and head over to training camp for the Dolphins, more specifically the offensive line. As Houts had mentioned on Finsider Daily on Wednesday morning, Pat Flaherty was fired out of nowhere, basically, and uh, just given his walking papers. And mainly because it was a not a good fit, the culture wasn't the right fit. And, you know, for Brian Flores, I know he's been getting some flack from some people for supposedly making a bad decision. He's getting credit from others as well. And for me, if you've ever been a part of the hiring process, you know that it is not as cut and dry as someone's resume, as someone's past experience. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to fit. You know, just like Brian Flores said in his press conference, that it wasn't a fit for Pat Flaherty. And, you know, when you got Dave DeGlimio, I'm just going to call him Googs like everyone else does. When, when you have him who's been with the Patriots, who's worked with Flores, who's worked with Chad O'Shea, 
that's just the natural and better fit. And, and, you know, I don't think you can blame Brian Flores for making this move, especially if it wasn't going to work and he saw the writing on the wall. He could have taken the easy road and not done anything and just hoped it got better and try to mask its deficiencies, but he didn't. And we saw that Adam Gase did do that. So credit to Brian Flores. I'm not going to be one of those guys who jumps on him and hates on him for this. I think absolutely he made the right move. Day Ghoul Yelmo. Day Ghoul Yelmo. Day Ghoul Yelmo. Okay. There you got it. Awesome. We have yeah, it. so yeah, so just in the the timing's a little bit bizarre, just in the sense that uh, you know football is a big fraternity, so you have guys that if you're going to let someone go, you give them in the best possible position to get a job. We've actually been pretty good as an organization recently about doing that with players, getting you know releasing them early if they're not going to fit with us in, in order to catch with the team. So just. Firing him at this point uh, with presumably no jobs around, uh, he's probably going to have to take the year off. So it's a little bit weird from that standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if it's an improvement, then we certainly have to pursue that. And DeGoyomo, and I'll just call him Googs too. I mean, let's not be ridiculous. So Googs coming in looks like it's going to be a positive anyway. You know, he's got the, the Patriot ties. And real quick story about him. His first year with the Patriots was the year that Logan Mankins got traded. And, of course, he wasn't told about this. He actually found out on the field when the players found out. Uh, so he had no foreknowledge. And, of course, it was the one position on the offensive line that he kind of had set and the rest of the others he was going to be experimenting with. So it just added another layer of experimentation that he had to go through. So we're looking at a guy who, you know, has been punched in the mouth before and been thrown into some precarious situations. So you like to, to see his resume where he's adapted to that situation. So hopefully he does the same with us. And uh, House did a great job talking about the offensive line yesterday and some of the, the parts they're moving around there. Uh, Jesse Davis does have a limited experience at right tackle, but he did look good there at, at, in spots uh, when he was filling in for Juwan James. But we didn't see him there much because we had Juwan James. So uh, to get Jesse Davis out there, maybe see a little bit more of his athleticism and then see what we can do in the interior. I mean, at the end of the day, we just need to find five guys that are going to give us the most consistent ball. Uh, so I trust Googs to kind of move things around even after this point uh, to see who's the best five. And it doesn't matter where they came from. Uh, it will be nice to see Michael Dieter in there. The third-round rookie would like to see him in there earning the snaps and just kind of getting that starting spot and just going with it. Yeah, and let's not forget that Googs was a coach of the Miami Dolphins prior in 2009 to 2011. He was the offensive line coach again in 2017 and obviously now. So he has some familiarity here in South Beach. But he is a guy that, if many recall, I mean, other than Quentin Nelson, a lot of people didn't know much about the Indianapolis offensive line. He went up there and turned that into one of the best units in the entire NFL. I think it, they might have been top five, if I'm not mistaken, towards the bottom of the league a year prior. So, I mean, he has 
uh, a pretty nice resume. He's proven that he can go from place to place and just build an offensive line out of seamlessly nothing, and that is exactly what the Dolphins have, aside from Laramie Tunsil, who we can say and argue day in day out is probably one of the top five left tackles in the entire NFL. Uh, but again, like, like Sutton said, I mean, you just like to see him coming in there, and the first thing he does, you know, Jesse Davis is playing right guard. He moves him out to right tackle. I mean, that's his first move. I think someone said that the last time he came to Miami did something very similar. You see uh, the position there with Michael Dieter, a guy who, again, Patrick Flaherty a couple days ago, sitting there saying, Michael Dieter, he's a long way away, not quite ready to play. As soon as Goose comes in there, Dieter's input into the starting lineup. Obviously, he needs to earn that spot, like Sutton said. But, I mean, you have these guys that have potential that have shown uh, that they have the ability to maybe be a suitable offensive lineman in the NFL. Patrick Flaherty just wasn't trying to get much out of those guys. You'd like to see this uh, this youth inflection coming in here with Miami. Right now, it looks like Laramie Tunsil is going to be the left tackle. Michael Dieter, perhaps, left guard. Uh, Daniel Kilgore, who by many accounts is having a pretty good camp. I know he was a guy that we were kind of down on last year, a guy who never could quite fill those shoes left behind by Mike Pouncey when healthy. But Kilgore seems to be tearing things up this offseason. That right right guard position is going to come down to Chris Reed. And again, I do believe uh, I do believe they're going to have some potential uh, potential battle there at, at right guard. And then right tackle Jesse Davis moving out there. So you like to see what he's doing here. You like to see some continuality there uh, with the offensive line. But uh, again, this, this Dolphins team, their success, as much as you want to sit here and talk about you know defense, the quarterback position, this and that, it all starts with the offensive line. They have not had a good offensive line since Tony Sperano. May he rest in peace, but... Uh, the Dolphins need to turn things around. They need to go from being what? I think they were 31st in the league in, with the offensive line. Uh, they need to get up there maybe in the middle. Top, top 15, in my opinion. If Googs can turn this team around, I think the 2019 season will be a lot better off if the Dolphins' offensive line performs the way many expect. I think that's an important, that was an important caveat there, though. I think we just have to manage our expectations. I think going into 2020, we just would like to have – Tunsil continue his upward trajectory, and I would love to be able to to pay him a lot of money, and then have Michael Dieter uh, lock up one of the guard spots if Daniel Kilgore stays healthy. Uh, you know, we're we're looking at a pretty good position going into 2020. You did a good job, Houts, explaining all the different moving parts on the offensive line, and you know, I mentioned this on my Finsider Daily earlier in the week that Pat Flaherty was very down on Michael Dieter. And to the point where he was basically saying that Dieter was not going to start this season um, until he figured things out. And then he gets fired and Dieter's in the starting lineup and by all accounts is having his best camp, his best day of camp. So, you know, it's crazy. It sounds like Flaherty was having trouble installing the scheme and installing the system that Chad O'Shea wanted to be installed. It just seemed to make a ton of sense for the Dolphins to move on from him. Now, Googs, uh, spent the 2018 season as the offensive line coach for the Colts, helping the Colts reach the AFC Divisional Round with an offense that finished fourth in the NFL in scoring and seventh in total offense, helping to mentor guard Quentin Nelson, who earned first-team All-Pro honors and was selected to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Googs has nearly 30 years of coaching experience, entering his 16th season as an NFL coach. Obviously, like you mentioned, Houston Sutton worked with the Giants, worked with the Patriots, and is now entering is actually his third stint as the Dolphins coaching staff, which is kind of crazy. He was a team's offensive line coach from 2009 and 2011. And then in 2017, that was the year that Chris Forrester, um, I'm sorry, not, not the year Chris Forrester got fired, but the year that, you know, things were kind of going down with Gase in his second year and such. 
but he was a senior offensive assistant there. And, you know, when he took over for Forrester, when he got fired, the Dolphins offensive line actually improved. So he's a great coach. We expect the offensive line to get better, and we'll see how now it all shakes out and who's going to be starting there week one. But I think the Dolphins are on the right track with this, and kudos to Brian Flores for making that tough decision to cut bait before it got worse. Moving on now, behind the offensive line is the quarterbacks, and Brian Flores saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the leader in the clubhouse at the quarterback position, and for anyone who's surprised by this, I think you need to get your reality marks checked because if anyone thought Josh Rosen was beating out Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, that was unrealistic thinking. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a 14-, 15-year veteran in the NFL. Josh Rosen is a second-year player after a horrible rookie season where just coaching staffs were all over the place and just a terrible coaching staff to begin with. So if you thought Rosen could come in and, and beat out Fitzpatrick, you were wrongly mistaken, and as you see now, even more mistaken, and I fully expect Fitzpatrick to keep a hold of this job. We found out that Rosen has never identified the Mike linebacker ever in his playing career. So this is a first for him. He has a ton to learn. The quarterback position is not as simple as throwing the ball. Ton to learn, and then, uh, you know, we'll see how he progresses. But, you know, if, if he needs to sit a year, so be it. The Dolphins like what they see in practice. You don't necessarily need games to evaluate someone you could get a great idea of who they are in practice and i think if this was a horse race you know if this was an even battle i think we would see josh rosen and more of a favorable light so i just don't think everybody quite appreciates the double-edged sword that this situation presents because on one hand obviously you'd like to have the young guy win the battle and win it outright and be the best player um but if Ryan Fitzpatrick is clearly outplaying him, you know, and you want to instill a culture of, you know, best man wins, you know, we just fired our offensive line coach. Uh, why not double down and uh, say that, you know, this is going to be a no questions asked, best, best man up gets to play. And uh, so I don't think there's any harm in that. I, I don't think anybody sees good outcomes with Josh Rosen coming into the season later, but I just invite you to consider the uh, parallel universe where Josh Rosen comes in, you know, with five to six games to play, put some good tape on film. He's either putting in himself in a position to become the starting quarterback in 2020, or we look at a quarterback starved market in the NFL and realize that, Hey, we might actually have a trade commodity uh, that we could flip for better than what we invested in in the first place. So there are some good outcomes, even if Rosen comes in later in the season. But I just don't think it's in Miami's best interest to start a clearly inferior player. I'm not saying that's the situation. I haven't been at training camp. But by all accounts from some people I trust, it's, it's a pretty clear distinction right now. So I'm going to trust what I'm hearing right now. Yeah, and as it should be, and I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you have a 36-year-old quarterback coming in here against a 22-year-old who just yesterday said that it was his first time figuring out how to identify a Mike linebacker. I mean, that is I, – I play peewee football. can't really say I went much further than that because I was too small, couldn't play midget, et cetera, et cetera. 
But IDing a middle linebacker is one of the first things a quarterback learns. So to find out that Josh Rosen just now, second year in the NFL, 22 years old, is learning how to ID a Mike linebacker, that is a huge – I mean, that, that right there just tells you all you need to know about how raw he is. And there's no reason, like Sun said, there's no reason why you throw him out there to the Wolves. A coaching staff – Brian Flores came in here, and from day one he's been preaching competition, competition, competition. There is no doubt in my mind that an entire roster of people are going to flock to a guy that's been around the NFL for 15, 16 years. I mean, that is just that is just what we do. If we went into a job and there was a guy that's been there for 16 years or a guy that has been here and this is his first year and he's been here a few months, who are you going to flock to? Who are you going to gravitate to? Obviously, the guy that's going to go out there and throw three 400-yard games, uh, he did that last year. I mean, he had more 400-yard games in one year than Ryan Tannehill had in seven seasons in Miami. I mean, so you got a guy here who's going to go out day in and day out. I mean, he's going to have four good games. I mean, nobody can sit here and argue that. He's lighting the world on fire in training camp, as he should. He has a better understanding of the offense, as he should. Again, 16-year veteran. But there's no reason to sit here and say, if Josh Rosen doesn't start, that this is a complete wash of a season. I mean, you got Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to go out there. Those first four games are brutal. We talked about the schedule last week. That is an absolutely brutal schedule. Baltimore, New England, Chargers, Cowboys. I mean, it is a tough, tough schedule. And for a team that many believe to be at the bottom of the league, why throw out Josh Rosen? Why destroy his confidence that way? Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starter in training camp. He's going to be the starter as preseason progresses, unless there, by some miracle, Josh Rosen goes out there and just completely balls out. For me, I don't see this being an issue. I think worst case scenario, like we've said time and time again, he comes back, what is it, week six against Washington at home. You get, what, 12 games to sit there and evaluate what type of talent Josh Rosen is. Worst case scenario, you have a treasure chest of picks next year. You will have most likely a top five pick. And right now you're sitting there and there are four quarterbacks that many believe are better than some of the quarterbacks that came out this year. I mean, aside from Kyler Murray, the next year's draft class is far and away the better the better group. So there's no reason to sit here and overthink this. If you get 12 games out of Josh Rosen, the guy is on a three-year, $6.5 million contract. You have no reason to make a decision on him. You brought Ryan Fitzpatrick in here on a two-year deal. You did not just bring him in here to be... <laughs> This guy that's going to get passed over, you know, he, he is a guy that came in here. He's going to help develop Josh Rosen. And again, worst case scenario, you go out there next year, you draft a quarterback. And then what do you have? A Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers situation on your hand. Worst, best case scenario. I mean, I don't see it. I know we've been struggling to find a quarterback since Dan Marino himself. But what more do you guys want? I mean, they gave up a second round pick for a guy that was the 11th overall pick the year prior. They now have a pretty good team building towards this 2019 season. And then by many accounts, they're going to have a top three pick and their choice of a Tua, a, a Justin Herbert, a Jake Fromm, you name them. So I don't see this being an issue. I think people just need to temper their expectations for as much as I sit here and say, you know, don't put too much stock into, pre, into training camp. Don't don't get too carried away by some of the tweets you see. As soon as I see that Josh Rosen struggling, I'm pissed off. I'm sitting there angry. I mean, I have tweet after tweet sitting here just laying on a hill dying for Josh Rosen. So he's going out there and he's struggling in one week of tra training camp. Guys, everyone just relax. The Dolphins are going to be bad this year. We already know they're going to be bad this year. Evaluating Josh Rosen is what matters, uh, in my opinion. And I think no matter what, you're going to get, at worst, 12 games. And if you can't figure out this guy's a franchise quarterback in 12 games, uh, maybe you shouldn't be in the NFL. I'm so fired up right now. I want to, like, run to the TNT wall. Yeah, I'm ready to run through a wall right now. How it's, you got me. You got my juices pumping. Everybody calm down. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about juices <laughs> pumping. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget about Jordan Love from Utah State, who supposedly the Dolphins are in love with. Scouted yes. him last year on their way to go see Herbert, even though they knew that Jordan Love had no intention of declaring for the NFL draft. That was according to Pro Football Network's Tony Pauline. I think that, that speaks guy. volumes for itself.
Uh, yeah, and he also right. said that he also said the Dolphins had interest in Herbert. So I mean, yeah. right there are two guys that I mean, if things go as many believe, they will have their chance at one of those guys. And they will, and that's why they play the games, though, right? Because Brian Flores ain't trying to lose, and neither is anyone on the team. And uh, Adam Beasley, the Miami Herald, actually saying that he thinks Ryan Fitzpatrick might be peaking at the right time. Are we going to fall for that trap again? I hope <laughs> not. I hope not. I mean, a zebra. How does that saying go? A zebra doesn't change its stripes or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is who he is. I don't think we're going to see a revitalization or anything else like that. Yeah, going, nice uh, theory. Yeah. yeah, going to the other side of the ball, the defense. Like, you're right, Jerome Baker, what a stud. Dude has been having one hell of a camp, one hell of an offseason. And Houts, I know it's at the expense of your boy Raekwon McMillan, but... Jerome Baker looks like he is going to break out this season. Yeah, and it's a shame because I had uh, high expectations for Raekwon McMillan. I mean, this is not a knock against him. I think we said it last week. Jerome Baker is the best linebacker on the roster, and you're kind of starting to see that. I was a bit surprised that he was, you know, the starting middle linebacker there day one. I think uh, Raekwon McMillan was playing the second team. I think he even got some third team work this week. But uh, it's something that you like to see from Brian Flores. You know, he's mixing and matching and trying to see how these guys respond. I'm not I, – I wasn't at training camp. I don't know how Raekwon McMillan responded. But Jerome Baker, far and away the best linebacker on the roster as we talk now. My interview with Rashad Butler, he kind of cautioned me for, for fans to not get so caught up in – and positions that players are playing and and which team they're playing on, especially early. So uh, I'm just going to take a grain of salt here and just know and trust the, that the coaching staff is going to have the, the right players uh, playing most of the snaps and the positions that we need them. So this is the time to be evaluating these uh, bottom of the roster guys that are going to, conceivably make the 53 and it's going to be those types of competitions that end up uh, kind of churning the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, so th- those are going to be the types of competitions that I'm going to be kind of looking on in the next few days and just happy that Jerome Baker is able to confirm a lot of fans uh, hopes and well and analysis based on some things that happened last year that he was going to make that leap, you know, we predicted that he would put on some weight and be asked to be put in some in some more different positions. So I think we're going to see that throughout camp. I think we'll see him play in the middle. I think we'll see him play outside. I think we'll be seeing him play all over unless they don't do any of those things because they don't want anybody to know that. Many people believe, not many people, but some people believe that he'll be playing the Dante Hightower role, which is basically all over the place. And, uh, you know, we saw the potential last year with Jerome Baker. He's fast, he's shifty, he can get to the quarterback when needed. And I think it's going to be very exciting if that's the role that Brian Flores is going to put him in this coming season. Um, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum, where many people didn't like the pick. But that pick is now coming into focus, and looks like it may have been at Greer's pick, um, based on all the potential that he's bringing to the table and all the ways that Brian Flores wants to use him this coming season. So that is something definitely to watch out for and to keep your eyes on as we move throughout preseason and, of course, the regular season. 
Lots of other storylines to talk about as well in Dolphins training camp. But again, it's still very early. You got the running back battles going on. Who's going to be RB1? Who's going to be RB2? Is there even an RB1 or an RB2 in a Dolphins offense? We don't think so, but we also believe that the split won't necessarily be 50-50 either. Wide receivers coming along nicely. Who's going to make the final cut there? Tight ends. Who's going to make the cuts there? And how's that all going to shake out? Lots of things to figure out over the next few weeks. Football is back Thursday night for the Hall of Fame game. And then uh, Hall of Fame weekend, the enshrinement ceremony. Sutton will be there. I'll be there. Houts, unfortunately, will not be there as he awaits. You want to tell everyone, Houts, why you won't be there? Or we're going to keep that on the DL. I'm, I'm having another daughter. Nice. That's yeah. Congratulations, Houts. Thanks, guys. We love you, buddy. Houts will Sun be doing Finsider Daily from the hospital room uh, next week. So uh, if, if it sounds off, just you know why. You know why. It's, if it sounds off, that's just Houts being Houts. But I think Sutton <laughs> took all. I think Sutton took all the boys. So I'm just I'm getting all the girls now. <laughs> <laughs> they will have plenty of suitors. Oh man. Um. So. Finsider Daily, you know, speaking of which, we launched it last week and it has been a tremendous success, exceeding our expectations for numbers in our first week. So thank you for all who have tuned in. It is a lot more work on our parts, a lot more labor, a lot more editing, throwing things up there, but it's been a lot of fun and I can't speak for Houts and Sutton, but you know, it's hard to talk by yourself for 20, 30 minutes an episode. But it's also very good because it forces you to really dive in and get deep and really understand what's going on with the Dolphins and the rest of the NFL. So for that, you know, it's been a success and the numbers have shown based on downloads that it's been a success. We'll be coming your way all season long, Monday through Friday. So be sure to keep checking back every morning. Any last thoughts, Houts and Sutton? Yeah, just I, I know our, our mailbag was just spilling over with crazy amounts of questions. <laughs> I, I did want to get to my son's question, and it's fitting oh. that we were just talking about Houts's, uh new new baby on the way. Yeah. So I, I asked my my six year old. I, I said, you know, buddy, what what do you uh, what would do you have any questions for me and my my football guys that I do the podcast with? He goes, yeah, dad. He goes, do the dolphins poop their pants? Oh, jeez. And I was like, does house poop his pants? <laughs> house, do you fear poop your pants? Do you fear poop house? Almost at one time we were talking to what? <laughs> it was Greg Camarillo okay. at Babies R Us. I almost, <laughs> I almost soiled my pants. So tell your son, yes, uh, when you talk to legends that help the Dolphins go 1-15, and 15, you definitely saw your pants. Yeah. Well, and figuratively, too, we lost how many games last year screwing screwing ourselves late in the, in the second half under a, a defunct Matt Burke defense. But, hey, that's in the rearview mirror. So, yeah, yes, but- yes, Isaac, the Dolphins do poop their pants. <laughs> but yeah, we're definitely – you know- I just want to touch on that real quick since you mentioned that, Houts, and it just reminded me. We found out this week, as everyone preaches about Brian Flores and his being on time, who, by the way, he holds everyone accountable. He holds players accountable for that. He holds coaches accountable. And, yes, he holds reporters accountable as well. If you're not on time for a press conference, you're not getting in. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Continue what you were saying, Houts. 
I was just going to say, how many of us are going to be sitting there watching those Dolphins next year in their nice white pants just searching for a brown spot for your son? <laughs> just because just of Simon's question, right? I'm going to be watching the All-22 on that, trying to find one of these players that just accidentally soiled themselves like Josh Houts at Babies R Us. Oh, I, will, I will go the extra mile for my son. That is funny. <laughs> I also for, I also remember what I was going to say. As, we, as everyone's preaching about Brian Flores and being on time and being disciplined, we found out that numerous players under Adam Gase were routinely late for meetings, including guys like Rashad Jones. And uh, Adam Gase tried everything that he could possibly do to discourage it, find players, called out players in front of the entire team, posted shame signs in the locker room, calling out players who were routinely late, and nothing could get done. And it sounded like that he didn't really start taking penalties seriously until his third year as head coach. And we all know who have been in management positions or have been in leadership roles, where if you go in one way and you establish yourself as that person in that way, it is very hard to change who you are. And that's why, you know, I think he may end up being successful in New York again if he learned his lessons from his time in Miami. But I just don't know if he's can swallow his pride and understand that. But I don't want to get into this conversation about Adam Gase. I just wanted to point that out because of how disciplined Brian Flores is trying to take this approach in Miami. Beyond that, I think that's it on this week's Finsider Radio. What do you say, guys? Yeah, let's uh, let's cover some Hall of Fame this weekend. What do you say? That's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, I'm Like I said, I'll be there and Sutton will be there. Brett Yaris will be there from Pro Football Network and also a Dolphins guy on the Twitter streets there. And, man, it is going to be wild. I cannot wait to see you on Saturday morning, start drinking, get crazy, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, let's not forget football starts tomorrow, boys. It's yep. first game. Well, tomorrow we're recording, we're recording on Wednesday night, but as people are listening to this, it will be Thursday morning, so football will be starting tonight, actually, you know, and uh, it is back. Football is back, and it's a great day in the United States of America and across the world. That's going to do it for us here on Finsider Radio. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Cause we're the Miami